0: This Sharp Scratch, episode 50. Why do you want to be a doctor? This is a podcast brought to you by the BMJ and sponsored by Medical Protection, where we bring together medical students, junior doctors and expert guests to discuss all the things that you need to know to be a good doctor, but that you might not get taught at medical school. I'm Nikki and I'm the editorial scholar here at the BMJ, and I'm also a medical student at the University of Manchester. And I'm excited to be joined today by my good friends Anna and Laura. Do you both want to introduce
1: yourselves? Hello, I'm Laura and I'm a final year medical student at the University of Cambridge.
2: Hi, I'm Anna, and I'm also a final year medical student, um, slash, I think, kind of a finished doctor, because I've passed my finals. <gasps> so I'm um, King's College London. <laughs> um, so not like 100% cooked yet, but nearly there.
0: Oh amazing, so exciting to have you both with us and I guess this is kind of a bit of a special episode because all three of us have hosted the podcast before so I'm a little nervous today to be on top of my game. (laughs) Um, But I'm also delighted to be joined today by our expert guest Dr Declan Hyland. Declan do you want to introduce yourself?
3: Yeah thanks Nikki, so my name's uh, Declan Hyland, I'm a consultant in general adult psychiatry, Uh, I work in the inpatient setting in Liverpool uh, and I've been a consultant for about five years.
0: Great to have you with us, Declan. So today I wanted to talk a bit about that classic and cliched interview question of why do you want to do medicine or why do you want to be a doctor? And that's partly why we're lucky enough to have Declan here with us today, as I know that you're involved with the med school admissions at Liverpool so this episode's about why people choose to do medicine and why we might want to be a doctor in the first place so at bmj student we spoke to lots of you our listeners doctors and students alike to try and get a sense of what your initial reasons were for wanting to be a doctor and whether those reasons are still true and we were even able to get a conversation with tv doctor zoe williams as well as our chief medical officer professor chris Whitty. so do stay tuned to hear from them But I guess it's also an interesting time for medical students. We've seen an increase in applications this year as people, I guess, are inspired by the work of doctors in the pandemic, but also medical students themselves have been thrown in at the deep end. And we're hearing lots of stories of people who are wondering about their future careers in medicine. Lots of talk of leaving the profession or relocating abroad. So, Declan, you mentioned a bit about the interview process. What are we normally like when we arrive at interview? What are the sort of trends or patterns that you see, and what are you looking for? I,
3: I think, I think more than anything, I mean, it's understandable that uh, applicants will be nervous. Often, for a lot of applicants, they've never done an interview before, and um, we recognise that. And I, and I think the first thing to say is that it's okay to be anxious and nervous about the interview process. I mean, I think probably the most important piece of advice would be uh, to just sort of keep keep calm and try not to try not to get flustered. Uh, and actually, um, you know, in a lot of cases, I, I think what, what a lot of applicants find is that as they're given more and more opportunity to speak about their experiences uh, and to relate them to how it makes them ideal for a, a, um, a degree uh, in medicine, I think they tend to relax a lot more. And I think a lot of it is about using the opportunity to sell yourself because you really have to do that um you know within the interview process but not coming across as sort of overly confident or arrogant so i think probably enthusiasm is is one of the key things um and i think that usually comes across pretty quickly with a candidate. Um, and and you know obviously you have to be prepared uh, for the interview. So it, it's kind of being able to anticipate the questions that you're going to be asked about, and making sure obviously that you have some knowledge of a uh, story within uh, you know the the medical literature or on the news that's related to medicine. Having a think about. Uh, Some of the perhaps more obvious ethical issues that you might get asked about, so things like um, you know uh, genetic engineering or euthanasia, sort of common uh, ethical issues that that we'd like to bring up uh, in in medical uh, school interviews.
0: Everyone refers to it as this cliche, like the standard interview question. But I don't know how many people have actually been asked it. But I do still think it's probably quite important for you to think about before arriving to your interviews, because I guess it it's a reflection on how much you want it and whether you want it for the right reasons, right? Declan, what are your thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, I would agree, Nikki. I mean, you know, it's the obvious question to be asked. And I I think, obviously, one of the things that you need to be thinking about is, you know, if they say, well, okay, so so you're interested in working within a healthcare setting and, Uh, you want to work with people so why not go and be a nurse why not go and be an OT or a physio so I think it's being able to make sure that you can relate it specifically to a a career in medicine as opposed to other sort of um, allied uh, careers if you like because obviously if you do get asked the question I think it's important that you're able to sort of justify actually why why medicine is more suited to to your interests uh, rather than any other particular career within the healthcare setting.
0: We'll talk a little bit more about our own motivations in just a moment but we're just going to take a quick break to hear about an offer available to Sharp Scratch listeners.
4: As a junior doctor, you want the latest clinical information at your fingertips, anywhere, anytime. That's why, funded by Health Education England, NHS Education for Scotland and NHS Wales, all NHS staff in England, Scotland and Wales have free access to BMJ Best Practice. BMJ Best Practice provides the latest evidence-based information structured around the patient consultation to help you treat patients with confidence. It includes differential diagnosis and treatment algorithms, videos of common clinical procedures, important update alerts for evidence changes, over 500 medical calculators, links to local guidelines and nearly 500 patient leaflets. Create your free account today by visiting bmg.com forward slash UK access.
0: Okay, back to the show. So last week, I took to med Twitter to see if I could gather some answers about why people wanted to be doctors. And I was pretty amazed with the response. So thank you so much if you replied or tagged someone to answer those questions for us. But what really surprised me, Although I don't know whether surprise is the wrong word because I probably already knew this to an extent. But the variation of people who knew that they wanted to be a doctor since they literally came out the womb in comparison to people who had done other careers first or um, came to it much later on in life. And there was a huge variation of... All- from both of those ends of the spectrum and everything in between. And then also all of the cliches of people being good at science and wanting to help people. But yeah, it was really, really varied. But there were some definite trends. Um, I also had a quick chat with BMJ clinical editors about this.
5: Hi, I'm Clara. I've been working as a general surgical registrar in the northeast of England. And I'm currently working at the BMJ as the editorial registrar. Um I wasn't somebody who'd always wanted to do medicine quite the opposite in fact. Um I was a bit of a jack of all trades and master of none when I was at school. I really enjoyed arts, science, maths and loved English. Um I actually had a place to do English literature at university. Um my dad had always said to me, um being a medic himself that I could do whatever I wanted and he would support me um, apart from medicine so being a slightly rebellious teenager despite having a place to study English literature at university um, I decided not to go do some work experience uh, in a hospital and realized that I really loved the idea of medicine I am suspicious that some of that motivation may have come from um, watching a lot of George Clooney in ER I genuinely don't think at the time that I had really thought through what would make me a good doctor or why I liked it, but I just knew that I did. Um, In hindsight, I really don't think that I would have enjoyed anything else as much as I enjoy medicine. The unique mix of team-based working, the interaction with patients and the ability to use your brain is something that keeps me motivated every single day even when i've had really awful shifts and i wonder why i'm doing it i am kept constantly engaged amused and interested by patients um as much as i've loved my clinical year at the bmj i miss patients and clinical interaction with the team all the time And while there are subspecialties of medicine that don't involve people, for me, the most important reason for doing this job and continuing to do this job and what I get a huge amount of enjoyment from is my patients. Um, So I think a lot of medicine and being a good doctor is not only about all of those skills like organisation and working hard and passing exams but also having a real curiosity and genuinely caring about your patients and enjoying engaging with them on a human level.
0: Laura do you want to tell us why you originally thought that you wanted to be a doctor how old you were and how your journey sort of developed?
1: Um so I uh didn't think too much I don't know when I was a kid I wanted to be a writer that was my dream to be a writer of poems and stories um and as I got older I started thinking about like what do I actually want to spend my day-to-day doing I thought I like being a doctor sounded like the kind of thing I might enjoy doing day-to-day um for the most basic reason of I enjoy working with people and I'm I really enjoy science like learning about it but yeah I also thought about being a like a uh, doing languages and being like an interpreter, which I thought would be really fun. But I recognised that in that, what eventually helped me make the decision was a little bit of uh, shadowing in hospital and then realising that if I did languages, I'd have to do a lot of jobs that maybe weren't the job that I wanted to do until I could get good enough or you know, go up high enough in the ranks until I was interpreting in a context that I would find really interesting day to day. So realising that I'd have to do lots and lots of um, jobs to work towards my an ambition compared to being a doctor where i thought i'd enjoy all the training and all mm. the days in between not to mention that there's not just one job within being a doctor that would interest me but that there's like lots of jobs and i'd leave that choice open for a mm. much longer time in terms of having lots of potential avenues i could go down rather than having like one single job that i'm working mm. towards um and so that's the kind of thing that's that really genuinely swayed me to it i mean like i was i was geeky about the brain in particular, like I was given a few books when I was a teenager. And so like I had this kind of like ticking along in the background, but you can be geeky about the body and stuff without becoming a doctor. Like that's the kind of stuff that sticks with you. Just like now, I'm, I feel like I'm still geeky about languages. Um, and that's just continues, even though I'm not, do have to do it as a career. Um, oh. But yeah, when I, when I, when I was started applying for it, like I was 17 years old when I thought that's what I, no, must've been like 16, late 16. Um, when I realized that's what I want to do. So I sort of had a bit of a panic moment of like, how am I going to get enough work experience to like get my personal statement up to scratch? And I spent a lot of time thinking about these reasons of liking working with people and liking science and feeling like they weren't good enough reasons because they're the, they're the same reasons as everyone else, as if it wasn't like thought through enough and so on. And so I spent a lot of time like reflecting, like how can I say things that are still true that are a bit different to that.
0: Anna, what were, what were your initial reasons? How old were you? And when did you decide that you wanted to be a doctor?
2: Yeah, so, I mean, a lot of what you said, Laura, has really resonated with me as well. I think, you know, I was always academic and quite bookish, I suppose, would be the word. Um, so I think it was never, nothing was ever really particularly presented to me other than medicine and law. I think it was just like, she's, an, she's quite academic um She's she's very good in class because I mostly wasn't really listening to what people were saying, so they thought, "Gosh, she's quiet. She's she's very good." Um, <laughs> <laughs> um So yeah, and I remember I do actually remember. I don't know if I've spoken about this on the podcast before, but I did have like a crystallizing moment when I was I, I must have been fifteen, sixteen, and it's so banal. <laughs> but I was watching a TV show like just in my living room with my family, and it was like a law TV show. I can't even remember what it was, but there was a a sort of sub-story of one of the characters um, being investigated for some sort of malignancy. And I realized that I was far more interested in this sub-story than I was in whatever their high-flying legal case that the main story was. And I was like, okay, yeah, I probably, I'm gonna do medicine, not law. But I think I did have this like almost euphoric moment um, a couple of weeks ago. Um, So I've been doing my apprenticeship block and um, I've been on cardiology, which I've never really spent a lot of time in before. And on the first day I went to the cath lab um and like I was just watching the consultant doing these procedures and I was like, There is so many things that you can do with medicine, like, okay, yeah, it's five years but you know, you can be an orthopaedic surgeon or you can be a psychiatrist. Like you can find something to suit you, I think. And I feel like when I was eighteen a lot of people were like, Oh my god, you're gonna go and do medicine and you know that's going to be your only option like to be a doctor um and it's like the training is so long and stuff and and I suppose that stuff is all true but I don't think that I could have picked something that would have given me more options like especially coming from the place that I come from you know I can't I can't think of anything else that that would have been like better I don't know I don't know if that's a a good Mm -hmm. enough reason but I think something that we were reflecting on together in the um group chat when we were talking about this as well is that like something that really has kind of crystallized for me over the last couple of years is that is my sort of wanting to be part of a community and wanting to be, you know, have that identity I'm obsessed with identity as you know <laughs> um you know wanting to have that community and and that agency really because you do have you do have agency as a doctor that you might not in other professions, and I think whilst I wouldn't would never have like been able to verbalise that as an eighteen year old, I do think that that very much appealed to me like that idea of, yeah, you know, like being part of something bigger than myself.
0: Yeah, I think you really hit the nail on the head though, when you said about the variety of stuff as well. That that's something that still continues to amaze me. Like um, the amount of different things that you could do with a medical degree, even beyond clinical medicine, is something that I hadn't yeah. really quite realised before this year working at the BMJ that I don't think I quite understood all of the things that you can do as a doctor beyond seeing patients, although I miss seeing patients more than anything else this year. Declan, what about you? What were your initial reasons and when did you choose that you wanted to become a doctor?
3: Yeah, so um, I I actually come from uh, a family where um, my sister's a doctor, Uh, my older sister's a doctor, my twin sister's a nurse, actually. So we're a bit of a medical family, but neither of my parents were doctors. Um, But I was always interested in science at school, so doing my GCSEs. Uh, really biology and chemistry were the two kind of subjects that was most interesting. So I always thought, I'm going to do something science-related. Um, and, and I suppose, really, because I was academic at school, um, naturally someone said to me, well, you know, have you considered a career in medicine? And I had the fortunate position of being able to... Um, I guess kind of discussed that really with my older sister because she's 4 years she was 4 years ahead of me at school so it started mm-hmm. at medical school when when I was sort of thinking about sort of A level choices etc so I think that kind of helped sort of crystallize my view and Um, I must admit I I was also really interested in forensic science um, because I've always had a sort of long-standing interest in crime but um, unfortunately I'm colourblind so uh, (laughs) forensic science was never going to be a a career for me uh, uh, (laughs) but it it was my backup plan Um, and and I think for me uh, I suppose you know I I was fortunate enough I applied to three uh, four medical schools got three offers uh, and I was all set for medical school and then I didn't get the A-level results that I needed, um, so I completely flunked my physics A-level, which was completely unexpected. Um, And I suppose that kind of um, spoilt the dream a little bit really, and I thought I'd kind of messed up my chances of a career in medicine. Um, So I decided to apply for biomedical science at Sheffield Medical School. Uh, But as soon as I got there, I went straight to the medical school and said, look, you know, I'm doing biomedical science. I really want to be a doctor. I want to apply for medicine. And I was fortunate enough at that stage, I was still able to apply to the medical school uh, in the same way that um, A-level students would. um, Of course, now you have to complete your degree and then apply as a postgraduate, which I think is, is not necessarily a bad thing um but i was uh, so it was a bit of a, a sort of convoluted route for me to get into medicine but i suppose the important lesson there is you know if you don't get the a level results you need it doesn't mean you won't become a doctor and i think you know we see lots of graduates now applying for medicine and i think they make fantastic medical students um, and they, they often shine actually amongst the uh, medical student body and and certainly i wouldn't let that put you off if you don't get the grades um, but right through medical school i think i, I never really had any regrets uh, and i suppose the thing for me um, that that kind of cemented my my choice to to go into Korean psychiatry was that I'm just quite a nosy person really and I, I I enjoy talking to people I enjoy being able to spend time with my patients and not feeling pressured um, in terms of sort of needing to see one patient after another after another um, so you know I mean I, I decided pretty early on. At medical school that I was going to go into a career in psychiatry and uh, unfortunately I've got no ambidexterity at all so I was never going to be a surgeon and I knew that pretty much straight away and I never really had much of an interest in anatomy uh, and in fact uh, my anatomy sessions were more an opportunity to catch up with all my friends so it was a bit more of a social occasion than anything else um, so I, I think that kind of really cemented my decision to to sort of um, steer towards a career in psychiatry and I've never had any regrets um, ever before and it's interesting you know, what you are saying about um you know sort of the variety of careers you can have as a doctor i mean i'm i'm very fortunate that um you know i, I also have quite um quite an involved role with the uh, liverpool medical school so i actually um spend two sessions a week with the liverpool medical school and it's it's entirely different and separate from my clinical duties and uh, I think you know it's something like that that really helps to keep you inspired it helps to keep you refreshed stops you burning out because I think sometimes there's a danger that when you're just doing clinical duties all the time that that can actually um, lead to burnout if you're not careful so it's good to have other interests so I know some people choose to have an academic interest for me it was always about medical education uh, particularly undergraduate education so I think it's something you need to strongly think about as you go through medical school you know where, where do you see your career lying? Uh, are you more of an academic doctor or more of a cl- budding clinician? Or are you perhaps more of a medical educationalist? And, and then how could you shape your career accordingly?
1: It's really fun to hear you say that part of the reason you were keen by the end of medical school is that you feel like you're nosy and you like learning lo- more and more about people. And that's something for me that is like, as I've as I've been doing the degree and understanding more of what it is about it that I really like, um, I've come to understand that actually part of what I love about the job part of the reason why I wouldn't be willing at this point I know that obviously lots of lots of students are considering what else they can do at this stage I'm thinking no I really do want to give this a shot and part of it is because I love the way that you get to talk to people you hardly know and get straight away to things that like really matter um, and it's just, I don't know, I find it really fascinating that the like complete shift in boundaries that's so unlike other parts yeah, of my Yeah,
3: I, I think people forget the privileged position you're in as a doctor, actually. And, you know, you're often sort of dealing with people in the most vulnerable uh, of, of positions. And I think we forget that sometimes, we lose sight of that. Um, and I think it's something really, really important that you need to remember that, that you know, often patients are, are really in quite a desperate place when they're talking to you as the doctor. And I, and I think it's important you, you kind of take that on board and, you know, act on that accordingly. And I guess that's why we teach our students to be sort of sensitive and empathetic, empathetic in in their approach. And, and I think, you know, uh, it's, a, it, it's a skill that comes with, with practice. Um, but it is still a very privileged career, I think, that, you know, no, no mm. there's no doubt mm, right. about that. You're
0: so right. Also interesting that Declan you mentioned your sort of um, I guess not as traditional a path into medicine because I also had a conversation with TV doctor Zoe Williams about the path she took.
6: Hi everybody my name's Zoe, Dr Zoe Williams. I'm a GP um, but I've got a portfolio career so I do some time doing clinical work, I do some work in the media and then I have some leadership roles as well with Public Health England and the RCGP which is all around physical activity and lifestyle medicine.
0: Amazing. So, Zoe, how old were you when you first decided that you wanted to be a doctor?
6: <laughs> I was three when I first decided <laughs> I wanted to be a doctor. It was um, my third birthday, and my my grandma from the Jamaican side of my family was a midwife. So she bought me for my birthday a little nurse's outfit and the the kids plastic doctor's kit the stethoscope and I loved it so everybody came through the door I wanted to examine them etc so (laughs) she sort of proudly said to me one day when you grow up do you want to be a midwife like me and apparently I stamped my feet and said no so my mum said will you be a nurse I stamped again and said no and uh, they said so what will you be then so I said I I wanted to be well I actually said I was going to be a doctor and and that was my mind up and to be honest Throughout my life um, there were times when I perhaps believed it was less likely to happen um, but that was always my my dream job it was always what I wanted to do there wasn't really anything else that I wanted um, to do long term. You
0: mentioned there was times where you thought it wasn't going to happen do you mind talking us through sort of your journey into medical school and what medical school you ended up going to?
6: So, so you know I mean my Even my background, so I'm from a working-class town, single-parent family, you know, mum heavily relied on benefits and I went to a school where, in Year 9, when I said that my ambition was to be a doctor, I was actually, sadly, I was told that um, I should come up with more realistic, um, more achievable goals, which, you know, I have this real belief that children should never, ever, ever be told that. We should always say, yes, you can, and uh, and help them believe and, and aim high. So so my ambition was always to be a doctor, and um, I worked hard at school and got grades. But then when I did my A levels, um, my life got turned upside down a bit for sort of various reasons. I left home and was working three jobs whilst doing my A levels, and the jobs that I was doing weren't necessarily conducive with studying. So I was working in nightclubs and things, and under a lot of pressure. So. Um, In the second year of my A levels, um, my grades really deteriorated and I ended up getting a B, a C and an E, which is never going to get you into medical school. The best will in the world. Those grades are not going to get you in. So it was a bit of a a bit of a moment uh, for self-reflection to think, well, what what next? Because I still just wanted to be a doctor. So I, I went and lived in Tenerife for a year. At one point, I lived in Cyprus for a year as a landscape gardener. I sold double glazing. You name it, I did it. And um, I ended up working as an auxiliary nurse in the hospital. And uh, finally, as an immature student thought, you know, I'm going to go to university. I can't get into medicine, but what can I study that is as close to that as possible? And, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to be a doctor is I've always found the human body fascinating. So I actually managed to get onto a course at Newcastle, um, the biomedical sciences course. And even even that, it's a long story, even how that came about, but but that's what I did. So I went as a mature student to Newcastle to study biomedical sciences. And I had three years out, so at first, just even picking up a pen and studying again, it, was, it took a bit of getting used to. But we were about th- maybe three or four weeks into the course and one of the senior lecturers came in and said, Um, I've come in to explain to you that we're doing something different this year. We've never done it before. We're the first university to ever do it, but we recognise on the combined biomedical sciences um, degrees, all of those degrees, so there were a couple of hundred of us, we recognise there are people here who want to be doctors, who would make great doctors, but for for whatever reason, they haven't made it onto medicine, whether that be their grades or they didn't pass the interview. So you're the first group of people to get this opportunity, potentially up to six of you um, will be given a place to go back into first year next year, but to start medicine. And I was like, this is my chance. This is my opportunity. So, you know, what you had to do in order to even apply was you had to get a first in all of the four modules in the first semester. Um, If you managed to do that, you were allowed to apply. It was a 600 word essay of of why you want to be a doctor and why you think you're suitable 300 words of any relevant experience
0: oh that's amazing an amazing journey um did you always want to be a GP
6: no I didn't I I was one of these people but whichever job I was doing as a junior doctor I wanted to do that except for urology Um, I wasn't massively into urology although there were some some elements of urology I liked it's quite a sociable job um, and you didn't have to do that many on calls if you were a senior doctor but my first ever job was respiratory medicine loved it that's what I was going to do then I did plastic surgery boom mine made up was going to be a plastic surgeon (laughs) Um, and then eventually I did dermatology in my F2 year and for me that was it I I pretty much made up my mind that this is the perfect career for me because I love the surgery of, of um, plastic surgery, especially the more intricate, finer plastic surgery. But I didn't want to give up medicine, and I thought dermatology—that's—it's a bit—it's—it's it's perfect in that it's you still you still need to do all of your medical stuff. Um, you get to do surgery, and again, you know, once you're a senior doctor, there aren't that many times you're called into the hospital um, when you're on call. So. It's quite a, you can have a social life, you can you can choose life as well as choosing work. So that was it. I was going to be a dermatologist. And then in my F2 year, uh, my F2 year was interrupted. I took a year out and um, I got the opportunity to do something quite exciting, which was to go and be a gladiator on TV. Um, so that was during my F2 year. So, so I did that, t- took a break, came back to my F2 year, completed it. Um, but by that point I decided that actually being a GP was going to give me the flexibility to have a portfolio and um, as well as my clinical work pursue my other interests which by this point I was interested in working in the media interested in um, the whole physical activity and lifestyle medicine side of things as well.
0: Yeah and you mentioned you obviously do a lot of media work and things like that and you've got this amazing portfolio career so what are the reasons that you still choose to practice medicine and you still want to be a doctor even though you've got everything else going on as well
6: it's still of everything that I do it's the most important thing that I do and I think for me it's not just what I do it's who I am it defines who I am it's um I think working in medicine is it for me it's a really important thing to do for my self-esteem that giving back and helping helping others it's hard at times, especially as a GP, there can be long days. You can deal with a lot of crap that, you know, you take people's burdens home with you. Uh it can be stressful. I work in quite a deprived area and a lot of my patients have really difficult lives and, and it, you know, you do it does it does have an impact on you. But at the end of the day you come home and think, I did something really even though I didn't do much for that person, I made their difficult life a little bit better just by listening to them or just by giving them that advice or just by signposting them to that charity. It's like I'm making the world, a, by a very small amount, making the world a better place.
0: Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us. It's been lovely to meet you.
6: Oh, and you. Thanks so much for having me. Good luck, everybody, with your applications or whatever stage you're at. OK, panel, so...
0: What I was wondering is how many of the reasons that you've all mentioned so far still stand for you? I know Anna you've mentioned a bit about how these reasons have developed and things but do you think the initial reason you applied for medical school is still the main reason you want to be a doctor now?
2: Yeah I mean I think like personally for me as cliched as it might sound I still want to help people and whether that be an individual like clinician patient interaction or potentially via public health or through medical education like training other clinicians or allied health professionals that that is basically why I wanted why I wanted to do it in the beginning and probably even more important to me now that I understand the sheer range of of ways that you can do that within medicine um so yeah it's a bit cliched I don't have anything profound to say (laughs)
1: Lara what about you um, well, I do still like science. And I do still want to work with people. So kind of like what you were saying, Anna, like that is still the same. But um, if I really think about it at the moment, I think I don't have as much curiosity and fascination with how the sciencey stuff works. I think to some extent over the last few years, um, learning all that has become a means to an end. And I wouldn't say that curiosity is something is a quality that I I'm very strong in right now I say that with like a tinge of sadness because it seems like something that I admire in others you know when people are geeky and like why how does this work why does it work like this whereas at the moment I feel like with the volume of stuff to learn I'm like learning what I need to know to be able to help people when I start the job in six months time yeah so maybe like a bit more towards the peopley side rather than the sciencey side and that's just maybe been an evolution over time due to like the pressures of having to learn lots and lots and lots of things which is a li- I don't know it seems like bittersweet not simply um, good or simply bad.
0: And what about you Declan would you say the reasons that you're still a doctor today are the same reasons that you went into a career with in medicine with?
3: Yeah I mean I think you know obviously I'm, I'm, I'm very fortunate I've kind of gone through the uh, training pathway now and, and it can seem like a real slog when you're at medical school doing five years I mean I, I did six years because I intercalated at uh, Sheffield Medical School um, but I think when you start your foundation training, I think that's um, when you really hit the ground running, and and you really start to put a lot of that knowledge into into practice. And I, and I think probably your foundation training is a good time to sort of consolidate, you know, what your sort of career aspirations are. And um, and I suppose for me, you know, I, I kind of. Um, you at a very early stage in, in my undergraduate career that, that I wanted to do a career in psychiatry, and I absolutely have uh, no no regrets whatsoever and I think the the best thing for me in terms of my job is that um, I feel that i 'm challenged every day by every single patient that I meet. Um, And I'm constantly learning as well, not only learning from patients, but also learning from nursing colleagues, learning from uh, the OT that I work with on the wards, you know, from pharmacists, etc. And I think that learning process never stops. So I think for me, that helps to keep you interested. It, It keeps you stimulated. And I think particularly... Um, I mean whichever um, specialty medicine you go into you'll be you'll be challenged but particularly in psychiatry your communication skills are challenged on a daily basis uh, especially in the inpatient setting uh, where I work and um, I've never ever had any regrets whatsoever and I think it's an incredibly rewarding career Um, and uh, certainly I think you know you you do have to persevere and there are times when it seems like a a real slog and you know medical finals are difficult etc but it's all worth it in the end uh, when you finally reach um, that holy grail and and you become a consultant or you you achieve what you want to achieve in in your medical career.
0: And now we have a quick message from Professor Chris Whitty especially for us at Sharp Scratch.
7: Hello I'm Chris Whitty I'm the Chief Medical Officer. I wanted to just say three things really. I mean, the first of which is a huge thank you to all of you who've been helping during the COVID crisis because very many medical students have uh, been absolutely fantastic in their support for the NHS and for patients. Uh, The second is in terms of careers, uh, um, I was asked to talk about uh, my career. Like most people, I changed my my mind multiple times through my career as to which bit of medicine uh, I wanted to go into. And the only thing that ran through all of it uh, was that I continued to do clinical practice and I still continue to do clinical practice and consider that an absolutely huge privilege uh, to do that. And then I think the third thing is that uh, the one thing you should always do is do things that interest you. Um, I've done various jobs, each one of which I've really enjoyed, uh, um, many of which I would only do once, but uh, the once was good. Uh, And uh, don't allow anyone to encourage you to do a bad or uninteresting job for you just because it's good for your career. The reason to do a job is because you wish to do it, uh, and if you do that, medicine is just such a fantastic career to have. Good luck.
0: We'll discuss a little bit more about our expectations of being a medic versus what it's actually like
8: in just a moment. How much do you care about indemnity right now? Probably not a lot. You're still a few years away from really worrying about claims and complaints from patients. But being part of medical protection is about a lot more than just indemnity. We can be there if something goes wrong, but we're also here to help make sure things go right too. We're the only medical defence organisation that protects doctors all over the world. From London to Brisbane, Cork to Cape Town, 300,000 members benefit from our expert advice and support throughout their career. During your years at medical school, your membership is completely free. You'll get training resources that can help you become an even better doctor, plus a dedicated student team there for you when you need it most. And when it comes to your elective, you can trust in our international experience to protect you wherever you choose to go. It's no wonder that 90% of medical students in the UK choose to be part of medical protection. You can find out more at medicalprotection.org. All right, back to the show. So Anna and
0: Lara, you're both reaching the end of your medical school careers now. So I've got two questions for you. First of all, was medical school what you imagined it to be? And secondly, how has your perception of what a doctor is changed? Anna, do you want to go first?
2: Yeah, sure. I was I was ready for this question and now I'm doubting myself. Um <laughs> So, I think I had a, quite a tumultuous first couple of years at medical school, and I think part of that when I look back, as I've already mentioned, I'm kind of obsessed with identity, particularly like professional identity and When I look back and I think about why I had problems, it all came down to not being able to find that congruence between my new sort of professional identity as a medical student slash future doctor um And like all of the other parts of my identity but actually that that changed quite a lot when i started it was when i started seeing patients that i think i i realized the value that i had to bring to those interactions based on my previous experiences but i think something that so i mean something that we've discussed before is i think often you know i was the only person from my school that was applying for medical school that year and a lot of people said to me, oh, you know, it's gonna be so good. Like, it's gonna be so good when you go, cause there's gonna be all these other people who are like, just like you um, and interested in the same stuff. And you know, that's that's not always how it works out. And it, and it wasn't for me. And I potentially didn't necessarily choose the right medical school environment because I was just a bit under-informed about it. But I think, yeah, when I started, when I started clinical stuff, that was more, I think, what I thought medical school was gonna be like. And it was, and yeah, I mean, like, like you're saying, when I was at the BMJ, I really miss seeing patients as well. So yeah, it's it's a tricky one. And I think it's so different depending on where you go as well. And it probably depends a lot on your year group. Like now that I'm in a different year group, it does seem to be quite a different atmosphere than than my original year that I was in. So I think there's like, there's so many variables, it's quite difficult to make any extrapolations from a personal experience, right? So yeah, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it did live up to my expectations. It's been a long time. It's been very tiring. Yeah, That's lived up to my expectations.
1: <laughs> You're at the other side now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lara, what about you? Um, I think that before university, I was very excited for new things. And I was very fortunate that I landed in a College, a Cambridge college, with a group of medics that were super wholesome and um, very uh, sort of collaborative, um, which made just such a massive difference to my first few years. And I guess like I was prepared for this really traditional format. I was really excited about doing group dissections, and like in all these settings, it really was like the friendships and relationships that formed that absolutely made it. Like made me feel after about after a few months, made me feel at home. But I do remember at the very beginning feeling absolutely shook when i opened my dissection anatomy manual um, and just seeing on the first page how many words that i just did not know what they meant and specifically i remember looking at what pronation and supination mean which for anyone listening you know that's when you like twist your wrist round, kind of <laughs> so your palm faces the sky and then faces the ground and i like that's actually not a word I'd ever heard and I was really freaked out by the how many words I didn't understand so it was like there was a steep learning curve and I remember finding lectures really overwhelming mm-hmm. and in the first term in particular I struggled with like supervisions or small group teaching because um well like looking back honestly it's because I was doing like lots trying to keep up the amount of stuff I was doing in my spare time similar to what I'd done before uni which wasn't really uh, realistic maybe like sort of doing all the different hobbies and stuff um so I struggled with that too. So I found, like, the academic side, like, a really big jump. Um, but, yeah, lucky enough that it was sort of the relationships I'd made in different settings that sort of carried me through the first sort of tricky few months and made me want to stay. And then clinical school was, is, like, both, well, it's... It's what I expect and also not what I expected. There are some aspects that you can't really understand until you are stood in the corner of a room wondering why you're there and how to disappear into the wall because you both need to be there but also there is no role for you there. Like that sort of really liminal role of like nearly there but not quite of being Mm -hmm. a medical student. That is not something I could have foreseen or understood. Like the excitement of talking to patients by myself and so on but at the same time this sort of responsibility to learn but actually no no responsibilities in in the care of a patient well obviously we've spoken on the podcast before about the kind of difference we can make you know the the difference it can make um the communication we do and the spending time with people because we have the time so i don't want to minimize that at all but like this sort of both and experience of being a medical student Mm. uh is not something i could have foreseen
2: yeah like that weird Um, you're in that weird sort of you've got one foot in the medical community and you are often being sort of I suppose nurtured in a way to to become a healthcare professional but then you very much Mm. have one foot particularly I think towards the beginning of your like I mean uh, you and I Laura, both did quite traditional courses where we didn't do much clinical stuff until after intercalation um Mm. you're very much still like got one foot in the sort of I don't want to say the public because it makes it seem like a real like us and them thing but one foot very much in like quote unquote civilian life where you're like I don't really understand what's going on don't understand half these words um mm. so yeah I think that and that's something that I find so interesting about what's be- what's quite unique about being a medical student is is that you are half of those things um and that's mm. actually like been the focus of of some of the research that I've been doing recently around COVID is like what mm. medical students were doing during COVID and how that affected how they felt about themselves as part of the medical profession, which has been super interesting. Mm. Um, I'm so I was excited gonna say to Anna, you've project, segued Anna. perfectly <laughs> into my next question, which was going oh. to be how what do you think How do you
0: think that the pandemic's affected our perception of our profession, but also the public's perception of the profession? I'm not going to say anything.
1: I'm just going to let Yeah, you wow. it I think he was the I want to hear I your thoughts. I can tell you what
2: um, our sample of a 1000 medical students thought. Oh, um, go on, we've been doing this thematic analysis. What was really interesting that came out of that work and and I think given that I was at the BMJ at the time when, you know, during the first lockdown and stuff and I was doing a lot of talking to medical students, a lot of it as you say um about the the stuff that you've seen on Twitter Nikki, a lot of it didn't necessarily surprise me, but it was nice to have it sort of done in a a reasonably rigorous methodological way so we can say, like, look, this is actually um, what's been happening, was that people very much um, linked their perception of themselves as part of the profession to their utility within the professional environment. And there was very much this sort of weighing up of, you know, is it important enough? Am I doing enough in the clinical environment to justify the fact that I'm there in terms of it being obviously an infectious disease pandemic, which is quite different to some of the previous literature around medical students helping in disasters like earthquakes and things like that. So it was really, really interesting. And I think part of the problems that people faced during that first lockdown, when a lot of clinical rotations were canceled and and people were volunteering, was that they didn't have enough information to make that decision, um, partially because that information wasn't available. Um, and then there was a lot of issues with infrastructure for medical students. So a lot of people ended up doing, you know, like vital admin work. But the kind of feeling that has come out of these, this thematic analysis we've done is that whilst they appreciated the opportunity to, to help, they felt that their skills were not necessarily being utilised to their kind of fullest extent. So there's a lot of people who had worked as um, like HCA's and things and they were saying, it's really good. I really enjoy being part of the team and and all of this, but actually it's very strange to me that I'm not allowed to take bloods because that's not part of my job description, but I know how to do it because I'm a fourth year medical student. So it's quite interesting really. And lots of implications obviously for like how we kind of put together, well, we're hoping that this work will inform how we put together like, medical student placements in some tiny way. Um, so, yeah, sorry, that was really long. I need to stop it No, it was really it interesting. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's, really, like, it's really interesting the way you said that it threw up, like, questions about both utility, like, defining what we can do as medical, like, who we are as, as students, like, what we can be useful for. Um, but also that, like, we want to be useful in a way that's specific to our training. Yeah. That's it's really yeah. interesting
0: that we're talking about, like, usefulness, as, as you were saying, Laura, because I think one thing that... I've experienced at medical school in the three years that I've done is especially on my last year like completely in placement is I did feel pretty useless like there's that there's the the whole anecdote of everyone being like the curtain shutter and that's the only use that you are as a medical student on any ward is that you can shut the curtains and then like when I compare that to my year at the BMJ I do feel quite useful I feel like I know what I'm doing and I get those things done and I'm i worry a little bit about going back to medical school and how that's going to make me feel in terms of being useless again but i was speaking to someone about a current behavior they were like but your use in the next two years is to learn to be a good doctor and Mm. you will then become useful again like you you do have a purpose even if you Mm. don't feel useful on any on every ward i guess So Declan what would you say is um like the like what is a doctor today in 2021 like how would you define like what we do um
3: Yeah I mean I think um it's interesting because I, you know obviously I um look after patients young and old and I think sometimes the, the, there is a real kind of spectrum as to how people view the doctor um and I think there are still some people who have a very sort of uh, traditional approach and a very sort of polite and call you sir and Uh, you know Dr Highland, and and then there's patients that that call you mate and uh, you almost want to call you by your first name and and I think there's there's a kind of um, a real kind of spectrum as to how 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 people sort of see the doctor these days I mean I think you know it it goes without saying that I think it's still very much a respected profession and um, I think the one thing that we've learned more now um, is the importance of um, collaborative working and I mean that you know not only in terms of the sense of working with sort of nursing colleagues and ROTs and physios etc but also working a lot more with patients so um you know when I was at medical school um in the early noughties you know it was kind of still really quite a paternalistic model that was used uh, particularly uh, you know in surgery I mean I mean I had sort of uh, many fond memories of, of going on surgical ward rounds and the, the surgeon being seen as the godlike figure that no one questioned and I think now um, we've very much moved away from that and I think patients are a lot more aware now that they can question decisions and quite rightly should question decisions that, that doctors make and actually, you know, um, we should be being able to justify why we choose one treatment over another and, and we should be inviting patients to, to feel empowered uh, in terms of making decisions about their treatment and giving them uh, opportunities and choice so I think um doctors now are seen as much less intimidating than they were perhaps 20-30 years ago and I think you know patients feel a lot more confident about expressing their view and expressing their opinion and I think that can only be a good thing um you know uh, and certainly in terms of uh, reducing sort of um you know levels of complaints uh, etc because very often things like that come out of Patients feeling that they weren't listened to and feeling um, really quite invalidated by by their experience of seeing a doctor. So, um, you know, I think I'm pleased to see we've moved away from the the sort of paternalistic model and much more uh, a much more collaborative model now with, with, with our patients.
0: And on that note, I think that's all we've got time for on Sharp Scratch today. If you'd like to hear more from us, please subscribe to Sharp Scratch wherever you get your podcasts, and in two weeks' time, you'll be notified of our next episode. While you wait for the next one, do check us out on social media. We're BMJ Student on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And let us know what you think about the podcast using the hashtag Sharp Scratch. I'd love to hear your ideas about what you think we should cover later on in the season. It's also really helpful to us if you can leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts as it helps other med students find the show. Until then, bye from us. Bye. 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 Bye.